Welcome to the latest episode of Back to the Bins. We're so glad you could join us. Whether you're a brand new listener or you've been listening from the very beginning, we appreciate your patronage and hope you'll continue coming back each and every week for more back issue goodness. I am your co-host, Scott Gardner, and please welcome back to this show, Mr. Michael Bailey. How's it going, Michael? Uh, doing very well. Very glad to be back, sir. Hey, it's excellent to have you back. I- I'm-, I'm really glad that, you, uh, that you're rejoining me for this episode. And I am going to be the gracious host and let you go first. Well, I'm going back to my proto-collecting years before I was really buying books on a monthly basis uh, to a, a, an issue I just picked up off the stands on a win. Incredible Hulk number 315. Uh, this is a G- the January 1986 issue. To punch us both in the wallets, it was only 65 cents. Mm. Uh, and let, me, this- let me take a stab in the dark. Is this the first John Byrne issue? No, this is like the, the second John Byrne issue. Oh, okay. But- uh, the, the first one was when the Hulk came to Earth and he snapped the deer's neck. Uh, right, right. Mm-hmm. Which, which Doomsday kind of ripped off later, <laughs> several years later. But I am a big fan of John Byrne. John me Byrne is too. responsible for me getting into comics with his Superman work. And uh, I thought his first run on the Hulk was very good. His second was shit. But uh, if I can swear on this, can I swear on this? One? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, very good. Yeah, very we, are, good. we are not. I mean, unless you're talking about, you know, like. A recent episode, I, I talked about um, Mickey Mouse and Goofy in a comic, and I made a conscious <laughs> effort. Okay, if I'm going to talk about Mickey, I just, you know, it's like swearing in front of your grandma. You know, you really don't want to swear in front of Mickey Mouse. But uh, now, but, now you've right off the bat, I've got a, uh, I've got a tangent us because now you mentioned the second run. What's Burns' second run on the Hulk? Peter David left the title in '98, and Joe Casey wrote a couple episodes, episodes issues after that. And then they started the Hulk over with a new number one called Hulk. Oh, just, where he was right. Oh, okay. Yeah, I just reviewed. Uh, you know what? I don't think that episode's actually aired yet. So, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. No, wait. That episode did go up. Yeah, where I talked about Hulk number one. Yeah, that's right. You know, I, I liked the first issue, but yeah, I, I agree with you that that after the first issue, it kind of went downhill really fast. Um, nothing against Ron Garney, who I thought drew a, a monstrous Hulk. The yes. Hulk is my is yeah. my second favorite character. It's just flat out, no question about it. Used to be Batman, but the more I thought about it, the more I realized that I like the Hulk more than Batman, which is saying something for me because I used to be a really big Batman fan. <laughs> uh, one of the great things about this, uh, about reading back issues like this, is that this does have an ad in it right there before the splash page for Mask with all of the toys <laughs> and the uh, Boulder Hill playset, so that. Makes me feel old, and um, this—I mean, it, it, it's this issue starts off with the Hulk, like monstrous Hulk, because Byrne drew a gigantic monster of a, a of a creature when he drew the Hulk, mm-hmm. uh, and it's just him pounding against this door, and he's trying to break free, and on the other side is Bruce Banner, which when I was a kid, I was like, huh. Uh, how does that work? I thought they were like the same person because you know I was like ten at the time. So. <laughs> but um, but no, it, this is this is the same setting from the early Hulk days where Bruce would put himself inside this giant cement prison so that when he changed at night he would just sit there pounding on the on the walls until Rick Jones, uh, poor Rick Jones, <laughs> uh, would, would let him out the previous the next morning. But it shows like the Hulk chasing Banner. 
and he gets him down, and it looks like he's about to kill him, but he disappears, and he sees him in the distance, and he chases him. And it reminds me of, like, the episode of the Incredible Hulk series, Married. Oh, yeah. For the first time, you had, like, the dream sequences of David Banner and the Hulk being together, and them just walking along together. So that kind of made me flash back to that. But then it turns out that all of this is Doc Samson separating Bruce Banner and the Incredible Hulk. And, uh... Because it's Burn, it kind of looks like Superman with a green wig on. Uh, <laughs> I, I love Burn to death. The man's got like three male figures, mm-hmm. and one of them's fat. So, and he's being interviewed by Diane Bellamy, uh, the a television reporter, about what, how he separated him, and why, and how the Hulk had been in this other dimension for a while, sent there by mystical means. I don't know why he said sent there by Doctor Strange. It's not like I, I'm I'm not super up on. Marvel is Doctor Strange like a secret? I he may have been at one time. I'm not real familiar with that either. I, I've actually even read that issue where that happens because I think that's number 300 if I remember right. And yep. I can't remember if if Doc Strange is, is was public back then or not. I've never been the biggest Doc Strange fan, so I honestly don't know. But uh, Clay Quartermain of S.H.I.E.L.D. breaks in and informs Samson that they are taking the Hulk into custody, basically to kill him. You know, they're like, Bruce Banner, take him to the hospital, he's fine. We're taking the Hulk off and we're going to shoot him execution style. Or however they would dispose of the Hulk. And Diane Bellamy, I feel bad for this woman because she's like, yeah, that's really great now, but we got to be on the way because, you know, we're going to uh, you know, go back to the station. And they're like, nah, we've been... We've been scrambling your transmission. It, it Nothing came out. Sorry. And then, inexplicably, they, like, throw her in jail. They, like, hmm. take her into custody. They don't explain why. Clay Quartermain is just kind of a dick about the whole thing. He's just like, oh, what, freedom of the press? Ha ha, guess what? I'm S.H.I.E.L.D. We can do whatever we want, and you're going to be sitting in a trailer for a little while. And it's kind of funny because she's sitting with her cameraman, and... Uh, She's like, I wonder why we haven't heard from the station. And the one guy goes, what are you kidding? Our boss would just throw on reruns of My Favorite Martian. And I thought, well, that's kind of cute because Bill Bixby was on My Favorite Martian. Oh, that's right. Didn't know if that was intentional. but um, So Samson shows up and says, uh, you guys are free to go, but I'm going to go get the Hulk. And he does so. And the Hulk, who is at this point brainless because him and Bruce have been separated, he basically, instead of neutralizing his brainwaves, he simulates them and causes the van to crash. But unfortunately, the Hulk wakes up and he is super pissed, kills basically all of the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents that are following him, and goes on a tear of destruction. And Doc Samson goes, oops, I messed up. I messed up completely. In fact, I messed up so bad, I've got to go kill the Hulk. And on the very last page, you have uh, Betty Ross going to see... I wanted to see Betty Banner because I'm so used to <laughs> to them being married, but it was Betty Ross going to see Bruce in the hospital. And I love this comic so much. I, I just, uh, from when I was, this is my second copy of it because I literally read my first one to pieces <laughs> to the point where I put staples in it so it would stay together. I read it? I ruined it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've, I've got a lot of them like that myself where I've had to buy them a couple of times. And uh, it's got this great cover of, like, the Hulk's head being split and out of that coming Bruce Banner screaming. It's just, Byrne knows how to draw certain characters to make them look very, very iconic. 
and his Hulk was very Jack Kirby-ish. You know, it had the, and, and Byrne himself was a, was kind of inspired by Jack Kirby. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, I've, I've read his Fantastic Four, I, 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 and all of his New Gods work. He loved Jack Kirby, obviously, but just the 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 monstrous nature, and it's nothing against Sal Buscema or any or Herb Trimpey, who I never really cared for, which is heresy, as as I understand well, it. I, I'm on board with you, though, brother. <laughs> I, I'm the same way. You know, I respect the man immensely. He, you know, there's a lot of artists in comics. I think where. You know, you've got to give them their due for whatever reason, but, you know, I don't think that you have to have blind allegiance to, because a lot of those early guys, I mean, let's face it, some of them were really rough. What I respect more than anything was what they were trying to do and their work ethic. But yeah, Herb Trimpey, top of that list, absolutely, uh, of a guy I just don't get the, the whole appeal of. But, you know, and, and, and Byrne is very good at action sequences. So seeing the Hulk, like, tear loose at the end of the issue, you know, when I was, like, nine years old and read it for the first time, I thought it was awesome. I'm 33 now. I read this the other day again for the purposes of this show, and I was like, this is so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but there, there's a couple funny things in it. It's got a Nestle Quick ad on the back cover with a <laughs> contest to win a complete set of GoBot toys. Ooh. And do you remember the Spider-Man trying to save Captain Crunch ads? No, it, I don't remember that one. It was a two-page spread ad. It was a contest in Captain Crunch where you could you you could win a share of a million dollars. And it's basically Spider-Man trying to find Captain Crunch. Oh yeah, okay. Now yes, I do. I do rem- <laughs> I do remember that now. And it's just like, what? <laughs> so does it say like, something like find the cap'n or something like that or help yeah, spider where, find the cap'n or something yeah, like that spider-man and where's the cap mystery? where's the cap'n that's it they got a daily bugle headline cap'n disappears one <laughs> million dollar reward yeah that's gonna be the freaking headline of the daily bugle well, that reminds me of a T-shirt that I always wanted to buy. I kept seeing it in a store window in, in like this head shop up in uh, Kingston, Ontario, and I never did buy it, and I regret it to this day, where these detectives are standing over um, the, the body of Captain Crunch with a knife in his back, and the, the one guy says to the other, well, it looks like we've got another serial murderer on our hands. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe that's where the Captain is. <laughs> But really and truly, this comic is like a great time capsule of the 80s because you have the GoBots, you have Mask, you have Spider-Man and Captain Crunch, you've got the Heroes for Hope ad, the yeah. X-Men, Africa, I guess this is Marvel's version of We Are the World. Yeah, Live Aid, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I would have loved to have seen all them sing We Are the World. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you really wouldn't have. I was... I lived through that nightmare. No, you really. Oh, oh, so did I. I remember it was on MTV like minutely. Five, yeah, every five (laughs) minutes, exactly. Now, speaking of this, this era of of you know of the Hulk and Burn and the awesome art and everything, um, have you ever uh, seen Marvel Fanfare number twenty nine, which was the all Burn Hulk all splash page issue? I I have that one. I I bought it specifically because it was a it, it. it didn't tie into any of his storylines, but it is also reprinted in the Hulk burn the the Burn Visionaries Hulk. Ah, okay. Uh, it is his entire first run of the Hulk, and that issue is the last book in the in the in the trade. Beautiful so, stuff. 
So guys, track it down because it's a great read. One and two, that 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 all splash page. It was uh, it was a thing that tied into Scourge. Oh, that's right. Yeah, the the well, I won't I won't spoil yeah, it. Yeah, don't, don't spoil it. But it's just yeah. it's sad at the end. Yeah, that's you're right, man. You've got a great memory because I had totally forgotten about that. Totally that's, forgotten that's my about thing. that. Well. I'm going to jump right into what I brought to the table for this episode, and we are going way, way back to November, December 1977, the year Star Wars came out. This is DC Comics. This is Freedom Fighters number 11. And a cover on this one, a really wacky, weird, bizarre cover um, done by one of my favorites, Rich Buckler, with uh, inks by Jack Abel. And this issue is written by Bob Ruzicus. And wasn't Bob Ruzicus, he was the answer man, right? He was the answer man. He worked in the production department of DC for, like, years. He did Mm -hmm. it. And uh, apparently at one point he also drove a van around the greater New York area, New York City area, selling comics out of his van. That's right. For DC Comics. That's right. I totally forgotten about that. You're right. Was I, you know, anytime I, I, I glom onto an old DC comic from about this era or, you know, w- within a few years, one way or the other, I always feel cheated if there's not an Answer Man column at the back of them because that was such a staple of DC comics back then. And I used to love the questions, you know, they, they ranged from really, really good questions, you know, things that you may not have thought of or always wondered about or whatever. To you know, what's the value of this? What's the value of that? And I can even remember one that uh, that asked specifically where to spider. What happens to Spider-Man's webs? And he answered the question and then said, <laughs> "Why am I answering Marvel questions?" Which I, I got a big <laughs> kick out of. So Bob Rosigus was was a great guy. And, I and the Fred Hembeck oh, uh, yeah. comic strip. Oh yeah. The uh, let's see here. The art on this one. Same inker. Well, I, I presume he's doing the inks. Jack Abel. It just says artist is Dick Ayers and uh, Jack Abel. But I believe Jack Abel was the inker um, in this capacity. Uh, the original price on this one thirty five cents. Story entitled "Divided We Die," and we start out with uh, the Ray, who his he's uh, shirtless and his arm and and chest are all bandaged up, and it says that he's uh, he has a bullet wound in his shoulder and he's recovering in a cabin in up it just says upstate which i presume this is upstate new york but it doesn't really say it just says upstate and he's having like a fever dream where he flashes back basically to i guess this must be his origin because on the cover it says special the origin of the ray so you know in his uh, civilian identity of uh, happy terrell is in this weird, bizarre, like, metal weather balloon type of thing that, that he and some other scientists are in. It's in this, it's being buffeted in a storm. He goes outside to do, try to do something, I don't know, to, to, to stop it from being buffeted or, I don't know, something. He, he goes outside anyway, and then he's hit by a cosmic, like a combination of a cosmic storm and some sort of lightning and everything. It actually transforms into the ray. But what's what's funny is, most superheroes that you know when they get transformed in this fashion you know they they take a while to come up with a costume and figure out what their superhero identity is going to be and what their powers are this guy instantly not only is he given you know superpowers right then and there but he's actually given a costume and he knows that his name is the ray master of light all in one now this might be just because they you know encapsulated his whole his whole origin story no from- that's pretty much how it happened oh okay <laughs> 
that that's just really bizarre that you know all in one you know he gets the powers gets the costume gets the name and knows what to do with his powers all in one shot within like three panels that's pretty awesome there's Such no a screwing around with that one goofy damn costume oh too. yeah Oh, I like I like it with the I like any of these guys that have the thin head thing going on. I just love it. You know, it's owing back to the old what is it, Buck Rogers or Flash Gordon, one of them, you know, from the from the early early days of comic strips and all that. I love that stuff. And that sequence was uh was actually from uh, Smash Comics uh number fourteen from September nineteen forty, according to the editor's notes, which I miss editor's notes. So do I. <laughs> and he comes out of this uh of this fever thing and he's being watched over by this mysterious man. He asks, you know, what happened? You know, where's the Americando who evidently was the guy who, who shot him and left him in this condition. The guy says, you know, he's gone. He left you to die in the woods. I'm taking care of you. And, you know, I I'm surrendering to you. I'm the man that you've been looking for. You can take me back. And the Ray is like, take you back searching for you because Mr. I don't even know who the blazes you are. And it says, reader, we'll do more of this next issue. So I have no idea what that was all about. <laughs> I have to read the next I, issue to find I, I, out. I'm just, the- I'm just kind of nervous about some dude coming up to me when I'm in a cabin going, I surrender to you. It's yeah, like, it's like, ugh. Uh, no, thanks. Can I go now? Where's my pants? <laughs> so, we cut to a, uh, a um, actually that upstate scene must have been New York because now we cut to the Big Apple and we're in a uh, courtroom scene and Daryl Dane, who is Doll Man, is on trial for first degree murder. He killed somebody. <laughs> and uh, I always, you know, you know, Doll Man is one of those really weird superhero identities that you're like, wow, you know, wouldn't you have serious issues if, if you know, you were Doll Man? I, I think that I'd have, like, serious, like, inferiority issues or something. I never I understood. Shrink. Yeah, these shrinking guys. I never understood why there are so many shrinking people in, in comic books. But we, we basically, we cut to that for one panel. It basically just says, you know, that he is on trial and what he's on trial for. And then we instantly change scene again to deep in the heart of Texas, where we're hanging out with the rest of the Freedom Fighters, which are um, Phantom Lady, the Human Bomb, and my personal favorite, Uncle Sam. I love yes. Uncle Sam. He kicks ass. And basically, they are, they've had a hard time. They, you know, the story with the Freedom Fighters, for those that don't know, the Freedom Fighters came from another Earth where they had... They, they called themselves the Freedom Fighters because on that Earth, Nazi Germany won World War II. And Earth took over, X. Earth X, that's right. And they took over the world. So the Freedom Fighters were basically trying, you know, all their, all this time they've been liberating that planet. Well, now they've come to this Earth, you know, the, the regular Earth where, where Superman and Wonder Woman and Batman and everybody live. And they have basically stumbled from one misadventure to another and somehow gotten themselves labeled outlaws. So their whole plan for whatever they came to this earth for has been screwed up from the beginning. And basically in this sequence, the human bomb just goes off. He's had enough of this bullshit. He can't take it anymore. And he's really accosting Uncle Sam and blaming him for everything that's gone wrong with their lives. And Phantom Lady kind of comes between them, convinces them that they've all, you know, they're all on the same side. They've all got to work together. And the first thing they've got to do is, you know, if they want to eat, they got to go get jobs. So we, <laughs> we turn the page, and it's a great panel of Phantom Lady. You know, she just looks like a normal lady of the 70s. You know, she's dressed in 70s attire. We've got Uncle Sam, who looks awesome. He's dressed like a combination of, like, 
Colonel Sanders and like Big Sam Houston or something. You know, he's he he's just looks great the way he's dressed. He looks like a like a Texas oil baron or something. It's hilarious. And then we've got Roy Lincoln, who's dressed in just regular clothes. Now I thought the deal with him was that he couldn't like touch anybody or anything, or he blew up. Yeah, so, I'm kind of confused about that myself. So. Uh, I, you know, they didn't have image inducers in the DC universe, so right. I'm kind of confused. Yeah, so my my theory is that he, this dude's walking down the street with the potential to actually kill anybody that bumps into him <laughs> in the street. It's like that's horribly irresponsible as a superhero. I think, you know, I mean, literally, if, if somebody's just like, "Oh, pardon me," boom, they're going to get blown up. That's, <laughs> that's terrifying to me. So we, uh, you know, as they're walking along, they're privy to this. Uh, this foursome of, uh, of of Indians of what is the PC term these days? See, I hate political correctness, so I don't even know. Uh, American Indians, Native Americans. I guess it's Native Americans. The you know they're Indians, and they're all gathered together, and they're basically begging for money. And you know they they've come up with this story that they want to help build a school for their people, and they've been oppressed, and blah blah blah. And it turns out. That they, you know, they are Indians, but they're all scamming. There, there's a, a greater thing going on here that they're basically taking advantage of people's guilt or, you know, goodwill. And they managed to raise all of like a buck sixty-five, which just pisses them off. So they invoke their their I don't know if it's their elders or their gods or something. They do some sort of Indian. Almost like a war dance kind of thing, and they are granted superpowers by something. And one of them turns into basically a flash guy. One of them is really awesome. He basically turns into Apache chief because he he gets the power to grow to massive proportions. He, he's called Tall Tree. Does he say a nutchuck? He doesn't, and I wish he Damn did. It. Oh, I would I would love that. You know, I mean, here here was precedent for Apache Chief in the in the DC universe. I'm really surprised that nobody, to my knowledge, these guys are one-off characters. I, if they ever appeared again, I'd be amazed. There was one guy um, called Rain in the Face, who I'll get back to because I find him absolutely. His- <laughs> and then there's Sorry. another guy, Thundercloud, who has like lightning bolt eyes. Who's yeah, that's kind of cool. So now they've got superpowers, and what do they decide to do with their superpowers? They're going to go knock off a bank in broad daylight. So they go in, and they're knocking off this bank when all of a sudden... Now, the first time I read this, it seems like the Freedom Fighters just bust in in the middle of their heist, and I'm like, wait wait a minute, where the hell did this come from? But I had forgotten that these two scenes were linked by, you know, the Freedom Fighters walking down the street and walking by these Indians in the first place. So I guess they were still in the neighborhood when they actually, like, got superpowers and went on the rampage. I don't I don't know. It's kind of silly. But they, they come in and they start to bust up the thing. All right, here's the part with, with this guy rain in the face that absolutely kills me. Now, it's not a matter of he controls water. It's a matter of he actually puts his hands out and, you know, like other, other guys with powers will like put their hands out and like project energy beams or something like that. He projects water out of his hands and it's like a, it's like a torrential blast of water. And I'm thinking, all right, if he's, if he's generating this internally, the amount of water that he dispenses in these two panels would leave him basically one of those little salt cubes from that one Star Trek episode. I mean, all the body, all the moisture in this dude's body would would kill him. I mean, where is he pulling this water from, I guess is what I'm asking. It, it's just really... The, the when moisture you think about, in the air? Yeah, well, maybe. I, I, I guess. There is no moisture yeah, in the Texas. air. Yeah, it's Texas. I don't know. Comic book science, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> 
So the the rest of the freedom fighters are proving very ineffectual against these guys. The only one that that does anything good is uh, Uncle Sam. You know, he's fighting the flashlight guy, and he just decides, well, basically, I'm just going to swing my arm out and hope I clock this guy. And he does. He knocks the guy silly. But the rest of the freedom fighters um, lose to these guys. The, the cops show up and are going to arrest the freedom fighters. And the bank, I, I presume this is the bank president, speaks for them and says, well, actually, these people were trying to stop the robbers. They're not the robbers themselves. And the cop is like, well, we'll still have to take him in for questioning. Uncle Sam just says, well, not right now, thank you. And they wander off, and I'm thinking, I don't think you can do that to the <laughs> our Uncle Sam. I don't think you can say, eh, I'll get back to you on that, officer. I'm going to try that, actually, the next time I get like pulled over or something. I'll report back and let you know how that shit works out. So then we cut back to the, uh, to the courtroom, and this was... Uh, I'm just going to gloss over it because it was actually one of the sillier courtroom dramas I've ever seen. Whoever wrote this, well, actually, let me see. It was uh, Bob Ruzikis. With all apologies to the answer man, he don't know shit about how court proceedings go because it reads really silly. Um, And then uh, the Freedom Fighters just, I guess, through dumb happenstance, just chance across these Indian guys. See, they never even come up with a group name. They just have individual names. So they come across these guys doing yet another bank heist. And this time, they they learn fast, evidently, because in two pages, they just utterly womp them and take them down. And uh, should I say womp them in connection with Indian uh, yeah. <laughs> They kick their butts and take them down. And please show up. The same cops show up again, take the, the Indian characters into custody, and... You know, the, the Indian characters really try to appeal to the, the policeman's sense of, you know, we're just trying to, you know, have justice for our people. And the cops not having any of it, which is absolutely hysterical. The cops just like, yeah, whatever, tell it to the judge. And we cut to the last page, and this is the wrap-up of uh, Dollman's trial, and he is found guilty of murder in the first degree. And that's where the issue ends. And... As you can hear, I got the biggest kick out of it because it, it this is my kind of comics. It's lighthearted. It's silly, innocent fun. It's got some great characters. I've always had a, a, a great weakness for, for teams full of freaks, and that's basically what the, the Freedom Fighters are. It's just a complete mishmash of, of such a, a wide range of just different, diverse, freakish characters I, I've got a, a great weakness for patriotic characters, and who is more patriotic than Uncle Sam? Yeah, I am a big fan of DC's. Well, this, the the Freedom Fighters were quality characters that DC bought, right? But I, I you know, like All Star Squadron, Freedom Fighters, yes. uh, Infinity Incorporated, Young All Stars. I am such a sucker for those. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that Earth X was originally supposed to be Earth Swastika. Oh, really? Yeah, they you know Lynn, when Lynn Wein brought them into Justice League of America because the Freedom Fighters got introduced during one of the JSA JLA crossovers, he wanted you know he's like well we're going to call it Earth Swastika and uh, Julius Schwartz, <laughs> the editor said there's never going to be a swastika in any of my comics. I wonder can, why. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I can, I can, I can sympathize with that. Uh, yeah, so, definitely. <laughs> so, they, so they called it Earth X because of that. And it was a great concept. Mm-hmm. This is where the Nazis won, and now we have to go beat them. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. I have, and, and Uncle Sam, you're absolutely right. 
anybody who doesn't write Uncle Sam as like the total ass kicker, like the guy that's just gonna he's he's gonna sit there, he's gonna give you his homespun wisdom, but when push comes to shove, those sleeves are getting rolled up, <laughs> and somebody's getting an ass kicking. Mm-hmm. I like would a, love to see him. I know that there have been attempts to bring him back or, or attempts to use him in strange ways and things like that, but I would like to see him brought back, used very much in, in the fashion he's used in, in this series, just you know the the spirit of of America type of thing where he does just what you say. You know, he comes in, he's no nonsense, he doesn't screw around, he just kicks ass. I'd love. I would so buy that book. I would. I would buy a, a, an Uncle Sam solo series written in that style. Yeah, I mean, the the Alex Ross two issue thing was kind of interesting mm-hmm. um, as, as like a political statement as a comic. I wasn't a big fan of the two Freedom Fighters miniseries that came out in the last couple of years because they've put two of them out, and it was just. It was very much in the vein of taking the Freedom Fighters and making them kind of hot young characters. Because except for Uncle Sam, they're like all new, but they're hot young characters, and they're all you know. It's all about having sex and fighting, and it's just like you know what? Not like that at all. While I have nothing against having sex. uh, (laughs) Yeah, I I totally would not like that at all because that that's that's a sore spot. With me that I, I I'll just touch on it to say what happened to them in Infinite Crisis was an absolute crime and that I'll just leave it at that. But I you know I wasn't even aware that there were two series of of Freedom Fighters. I thought it was just the one. Yeah, they did a second one. It was written by Palmiotti and Gray uh, with Daniel Acuna. I think his name is mm-hmm. whose artwork I cannot stand. Oh, okay. I, I just don't like his work at all it just it's too shiny the name doesn't uh doesn't bring any any art to my mind so i I may check that out now just because you said the magic word you said palmiati and i respect that man immensely just for the work he's doing on on jonah hex so i'm power girl yeah power girl with with all apologies to 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 mr palmiati because he actually spotted me a copy of uh, power girl number four at dragon con i told him i read the first three issues and I think he read my implied statement, which was I read the first three and dropped it. He spotted me a number four, and I, I enjoyed it. It's not that I don't. It's just, I don't know. It, it's not my thing, I guess, is, is the fair thing to say. But, uh, you know, I will still try anything that, that he writes because, I, you know, I'm enjoying Jonah Hex so very much. I've enjoyed other stuff that, that he's worked on and all. So, yeah. Wasn't just, he great at Dragon Con, though? Oh, yeah. yeah. I talked to him for about 15 minutes, and I talked to Amanda for about a couple minutes, too, and it was just really nice. He ended every sentence with the word right. Yep. Every <laughs> sentence ended as a question, which I was like, dude, this guy is so from New York. Yep. <laughs> He's he's great. He was he was very uh, very real. You know, just just hung out like another fanboy, and then we had some some nice uh, fanboy conversation. So it was a lot of fun. He was not at all, you know, the the Mister Celebrity. You know, he was totally just one of us. So that was that was really cool, really awesome. Special thanks to Michael Bailey for joining me on this episode. Please be sure to check out both of the other podcasts that Michael regularly hosts. There's the Views from the Long Box podcast, which you may find at fortressofbailytude.com forward slash views from the long box, all one word. And there's the From Crisis to Crisis podcast, which Michael co-hosts with Jeffrey Taylor, 
which you may find at feeds.feedburner.com forward slash from crisis to crisis a superman podcast all one word thank you so much for listening and i hope you'll join me right back here next week when who knows what mystery guest host will be popping by you can contact back to the bins to leave feedback comments questions and criticisms for the show via email at back to the bins at gmail.com or by visiting the two true freaks section of the comicforums.com We are now accepting requests for guest host spots on the show, so if you'd like to join me in an episode, let me know. Also, please be sure to check out the home website for Back to the Bins at www.twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you can find at comicbooknoise.com slash league, and also the Comics Podcast Network, which you may find at comicspodcast.com Take a moment to drop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and I'll see you next week.